Hello, welcome back to Sermon Notes. This is Garland, and I've got Michael in here today as he'll be teaching not just this Sunday, but the following uh, two weeks in a row with Michael Smith. Michael, how are you? I think you might have just heard our attendance numbers by putting that out into the wild. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, nobody into that next week. Uh, this week, um, we are con- we're continuing this study in First Peter, and we find ourselves going into a new kind of a new big section of the letter. Now there's yeah. the middle the middle um, kind of body of the letter, and then uh, he has another um, another significant section that begins in chapter 4, verse 12, and it goes through the end uh, to, the, to the closing greeting. But your passage this week will be chapter 4, 12 to 19. So where are we going this week? Yeah, you're right about the section break. Um, the ESV opens with the word beloved. In the NIV it says dear friends. Um, he's used that once before, and it was in chapter 2, verse 11. And both times it signals a new section. And this is the the closing, really. Um, and we might look at it and think, well, there's a whole other chapter after this. There's two more weeks after this. Well, he's a preacher. And so a lot of times when preachers say, in conclusion, that doesn't mean get your coat because right. you may be there a while longer. But, um, yeah, he's going to bring a lot of the ideas of the letter together in sort of this concluding section beginning in chapter 4, verse 12. And so he starts with saying, don't be surprised when things don't go your way. He calls it a fiery trial. Um, I think a lot of times then and now people think, well, I'm following Jesus. Bad things shouldn't happen to me. Why would God let somebody who's trying to be obedient and do what he's called us to do experience difficulties? And Peter's saying, no, you're thinking about it all wrong. Don't be surprised, uh, 13, but instead rejoice because you're sharing in Christ's sufferings that you may be, you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He says uh, rejoice twice in that verse. And so he wants us to flip our perspective and stop viewing suffering as punishment and stop viewing it as um, something that's reserved for people who are going against God, but instead realize that in that suffering, we can have joy. But then he gives us a caution. Um, It comes up in verse 15. Some of you are suffering because of things you've done. And so sometimes um, the bad things in our life are because we've made bad decisions, done things that didn't please the Lord. And then in 16, he says, yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but glorify God in that name, that name Christian. We're going to talk about that some in the sermon, how that began as a pejorative. Um, uh, people were mocking the followers of Jesus by calling them little Christs, in effect. And Peter says, no, you, you glorify God when people make fun of you for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he talks about judgment and that judgment is beginning in the household of God. And uh, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today, Garland, because as you know, with our limited time on Sunday morning, I'm going to address it, but I don't really have time to unpack it. And so I thought we might just spend a few minutes talking about what's he saying in verse 17 and 18, what kind of judgment are believers experiencing now and will we experience after we die? And how is that different from the judgment that non-believers will experience? Yeah, since it is everyone's favorite topic, you know, the word judgment, that's a real popular word in modern parlance, especially uh, in the kind of postmodern American culture. We love the idea uh, of judgment for things we've done. Um, let's let's uh, create some suspense then on that. Um, just just for a moment, I'm sure we're talking about it on Sunday, but just again, address in verse 14 there, um, just pastorally, maybe I'll ask, ask you to speak pastorally for a moment, Michael. Um, I'll just read it. If you are insulted because of the name of Jesus and the name of Christ, then you're blessed. Um, 
can you just just pastorally for a minute? I I think sometimes when we read stuff like this, it it you know Clark acknowledges a few a few weeks back. It's hard to almost put ourselves in those shoes because I I don't I have not really experienced much social ostracism, hostility, physical suffering because of Jesus growing up and living in Arkansas my whole life. Um, but I think that many people in our church, and I think people my age and down are are seeing just some of the way that uh, our culture is now uh, adjusting and the way that they look at claims of exclusivity or claims of one God or the claims that Christians make about ethics or how we should live. And it, it feels as if the winds, they've been changing for a long time in Western culture, but especially kind of in the last 20 years and especially in the last five, it seems as if, you know, it's... It, it has a little bit less social advantage and a lot more maybe social just unease to say you're a Christian. Here he says, and if you're insulted, can count that as a blessing. You just pastor me maybe for a moment or us as uh, I think often we, we get maybe frustrated or want to respond poorly or say, how could this be? What does this mean for where I live? And Peter almost says, that's you should count that as a good thing. Like, right. Look at this. Don't be surprised by that. But I think we can get that really confused. So just if somebody else is out at where I'm at out there, sure. What would you say to them pastorally across the table? Yeah. So first, I would say Peter's anchoring this in the teachings of Jesus um, in Matthew chapter five verse eleven, which of course is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's actually the last of the Beatitudes. Jesus says, "Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward your reward is great in heaven." For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Peter's really picking up on this idea that Jesus first taught in the Sermon on the Mount, which would have been decades before. And of course, Peter would have been there to hear that teaching. And so to your question and your point, um, when we bring it into our 21st century Western um, and Southern United States here in Northwest Arkansas, um, what does this look like? I think what he's telling us is, when we feel that tension, when, when uh, I, I was actually meeting with a guy this week, I won't use his name because he didn't give me permission to share it, but he said uh, he's, he, he, he's a young guy and a group of his friends, he knew they were talking about going someplace he did not need to go. Like it, this isn't like a questionable place, this is a place no believer would need to set foot. But he felt tempted and he felt like he wanted to go. But when he walked in the room, they changed the subject. He even said, hey, what were you guys talking about? And they were like, ah, yeah, uh, they, right, right. They, they didn't want to talk about it in front of him. Mm -hmm. And so he felt like an outsider. Mm -hmm. um, he felt ostracized, like you said. And uh, But he was saying to me afterwards, like the, the next, I felt left out. They all went out that night. I was home by myself. But he said, man, the next day I was like, Lord, thank you. <laughs> thank you that because they knew that I was a believer, they didn't, they didn't include me. Um, and that's not exactly what Peter's addressing here. But I think what he is saying is when we feel left out, when we feel put down, when we know that um, on a business trip, they're probably laughing at us because we're going to stay back at the hotel while they go out to someplace we don't need to go. And they're probably mocking us. Um, he says, you know what? You're actually blessed because look at it. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit. We don't want to take the Holy Spirit there. Um, and so when we are insulted, when people put us down, when people and, you know, we don't have to look very far in the media to see people saying things about people who believe what we believe mm -hmm. for various reasons. And he says, 
hey, it's a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Spirit of God is dwelling within us mm-hmm. and um, is edified when we stand with what the Bible says, even at a social cost. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I asked. I'm glad you shared that story. I think it's helpful. The reason we're doing this, this study is it's so easy I think for me and, and for many, uh, it's our na- it's our human nature um, to want to respond in kind, to kind of want to bow up and respond in the same way. And this is what makes the teaching of Jesus. It, it's always been really difficult. It was more difficult in the Roman Empire than it is in the Southern American culture now. There's a lot of places in the world where it's very, very difficult. And this is where <laughs> where it kind of becomes put up or shut up time, where you got to put your money where your mouth is and go... Um, do I really believe the resurrection? Do I? This is all a segue, by the way, to judgment. Do I really believe that Jesus will settle accounts, that he will be responsible for vindication? Um, I think, it, you know, there's a, there's a very famous, you can Google it if you have a moment to do so, uh, uh, a, a passage by Miroslav Volf who talks about Christian nonviolence um, coming only in a place from a, a Jesus who's been resurrected. And uh, you can just Google, it's a pretty, it's a pretty intense quotation if you just Google uh, Miroslav Volf, uh, Christian nonviolence. Um, but I think that uh, as we consider what it looks like to respond with blessing and kindness and mercy, even when insulted, we're going to need that lesson, I think, going forward more and more socially, even in, even in America. Um, but that's, that, it's impossible to do without what we're about to talk about now. So let's talk about 17 and 18 and 19, everyone's favorite, judgment. Yeah. So especially judgment of believers. That's something we don't talk about very often. What do you want to What do you want to say towards it? I, you said it's probably not making an extended time right. of the sermon. So okay. let, let me tee it up with what I am going to say on Sunday, and then we can unpack a little bit. Um, the New Testament writers are virtually, not virtually, they are unanimous in saying a believer in Jesus will not face uh, final damnation. Um, there's not a coming judgment for anyone who's in Christ that could result in that person not spending eternity with the Lord. So when we see a statement like, it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God, that can't be the judgment he's talking about. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's We got to settle that first. So then the question becomes, well, what judgment is he talking about? And the New Testament in several different places, one that comes to mind for, for me is 1 Corinthians 3. Garland, you might be thinking of some of another passage. Romans 14 alludes to it, um, that we will stand before the Lord and give an account for our obedience, for what we did with the things the Lord blessed us with, for basically for how we lived our life. You know, one of the themes of First Peter has been, be careful about how you live, your manner of life. And he's reminding us here that the judgment of our lives has begun now through a sanctifying fire, we might call it. These fiery trials he's talking about. God's using this this fire of judgment, not to condemn us, but to make us more Christ-like. And then if we flip over to 1 Corinthians 3, we see all of our the, our deeds, the things we've done are going to be judged. And those that are from obedience, from a place of serving the Lord, they're like gold and silver. They'll pass through the fire. The rest of it's just going to burn up. He calls it wood, hay, and stubble. And so there is a judgment, but it seems to be for rewards— what kind of rewards? We don't know. Paul talks about crowns. Second Timothy, he says there's a crown of righteousness laid up for him. Um, but it is not a judgment to determine our eternal future. Yeah, I, I was in a. I was teaching some of our uh, 
FSM students yesterday, and we were doing the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's one of those. Uh, it's a pretty intense section where Jesus basically gives a, he gives a series of three sets of two. They're all contrasted, you know, trees, and he talks about uh, uh, the wise builder versus the foolish builder, and the gates wide and narrow. Um, and it's got some rhetorical punch language like. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Lord of the kingdom of heaven, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and Jesus is, is obviously addressing, I think, some of, the issues, some of the things going on in a sociopolitical way in, in Israel in his day. But Matthew records it, I think, for the, uh, the Christian reader to take it to heart. I think this is what we have to do in a conversation like this. This is a whole day theological tension. On the one hand, we rest very firmly in the security of the believer, that a, uh, a person who's genuinely in Christ uh, can have assurance and go to bed with assurance, even though we may still struggle. Um, and let me just throw in there, we're not trying to earn anything. Correct. Yeah. Not we don't go we to did. bed at night yeah. and say, man, I hope I was right. good enough today. Right. Yeah, totally. I think uh, one of the the other pieces uh, that we have to also hold, so if in our right hand we have the security of the believer, I think we also have to hold on the other side, uh, in our other hand, uh, this concept of the judgment of believers, the language that sometimes is rather intensive, Jesus, not everyone. Um, there are some passages directed to those that would be maybe even near or around the, the assembly of those calling themselves Christians that need to hear that as genuine warning, that our lives really do matter. And so holding those two things in some kind of attention, I don't think they're contradictory, um, but I, I think that there's a reason passages like this and some that are even more intense in our Bibles do exist. Um, if you press either too far, so we get in the error when we have some, you know, passage or theology in one hand that we can verify with scripture and something in the other hand, we, and we're not quite sure how to wed them. We go into error when we close our fist to one and hold the other one up. That would look like something like a, uh, uh, if you don't give every part of your life over lordship, salvation, everything has to be done. Or you, that would definitely be an error. Or somebody saying, "No, you can lose your salvation." That would be, or the opposite, where we where we would take away any of the rhetorical effect of any of these uh, in fear that it might make us feel uneasy or something like that. That would also, I think, be um, probably a misstep. We have to hold them both in our hands. They're clear in Scripture, and then there's. If somebody is reading a passage like that and it's creating in them maybe a, oh my gosh, that's kind of got some urgency to it. I think rhetorically it wants you to have that urgency right. um, through a settled assurance in our security if you are in Christ. So it's, this is a multifaceted conversation. Obviously, there's a lot of big name scholars that a lot of people would know that uh, even have some disagreement on how exactly to work out that tension. But uh, this is the kind of thing that you come to sermon notes for some of this uh, extra nuance. What about the, or anything else you want to add on that before we talk about the judgment of those? Cause it doesn't, he didn't stop there. He talks right. about the judgment, even of those who persecute uh, anything else just to add there. Yeah. I would clarify? just, I would just say, I mean, I think, yes, there's arguments about the nuances and how we handle all of this and the timing of things. But I think most of us, in the, the, you know, those of us who take the Bible seriously would all agree we are saved. That is a done deal. That is a moment in time where we are declared righteous and forgiven. We, uh, Christ's righteousness is credited to us. And yet our life still matters. Our decision still matters. The way we live is still important to God. And if I live my life 
knowing that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how I spent my time, how I spend my money, how I treat other people, um, how I interact with disadvantaged people and people on the margins. Um, man, that should really impact mm-hmm. the decisions I make yeah. and the way I live. Yeah. And so I agree with you about holding those intention, but I think we all can agree our actions matter to God. Mm-hmm. Even just in a outrageously crass example as an illustration. Uh, I had to make a tax decision a few months ago and the entirety of that decision with my accountant was the the tax day is coming and I know that and this needs to be done in light of that day. It wasn't flippant because of that because nobody wants to get in trouble with the government or the IRS. And so even in a crass way, we understand this in a, in a rudimentary way. Um, and so now let me give you, uh, let's make it even more challenging. Okay. Because the, the, he quotes from a proverb here, uh, Peter does, but the rhetorical flair of this I think is troubling. It just it might be troubling to those in the community group. If you just read it at first blush, which I'm going to do in a minute, you're just like, I mean, that's, I mean, come on, man. Like, I'll let me just read it. He says, it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, then what about the outcome? What would the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And he goes, and, and he quotes, hey, if it's hard, I'll just, I'll say it with some rhetorical flair. Remember, it's hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly in the center? I mean, there's the, rhetor- I think the rhetorical punch he wants. Yes. But both sides of that of those two of that uh, sentence, both phrases in that sentence, I think are a little bit, it could be troubling or problematic. Why is it hard for the righteous to be saved? And then nobody likes the second half of that. So just walk us through that maybe for a moment. Yeah. Uh, so my just simple reading of, um, if the righteous is scarcely saved or if it's hard for the righteous to be saved would be, it's not hard for God. Um, he's not saying, man, God's barely able to get even you in. What's he going to do with you? No, that's not <laughs> well, what he's saying. Well, with me, it might be the case, well, you know, maybe, especially I'm Clark. Still so, trying to yeah. decide which category you actually drop into. <laughs> oh, no, dear listener, I'm, I'm kidding. We, we're, we're mean and to we each other. we somewhat love Clark. <laughs> we were mean to each other because we love each other on our staff. He's saying, look at, he, he began this thing with, don't be surprised by the fiery trial. So I think he's lifting this proverb and applying it to their situation to say, your life is hard as a follower of Jesus. And you know that glory awaits you. Eventual salvation awaits you. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? It's, it is a rhetorical question, uh, but it's a question that the Bible definitively answers. I'm going to go ahead and go to the passage that we're going to use on Sunday morning. So um, this, the, this won't be a surprise um, when people hear this on Sunday, but um, the Apostle Paul writing to the church of the, at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians, he uses the exact same wording um, when he says, um, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And here's the same phrase, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's what Peter says. Then in verse 9, this is 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, he says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified. And so, um, I think what he's saying here is consider for a moment those who don't know the Lord, those who have rejected the gospel, what he calls the gospel of God in verse 17. What awaits them is eternal separation. And so for me, what Peter's reminding us is these fiery trials, one, they give us an opportunity to glorify God and to have joy even in our suffering so that 
the gospel can go out. That's always the goal. It should break our heart to think of the people that we all know. I hope all of us know lost people. I know I do. And I hope as you think about people in your world, that your neighbors, your your coworkers, probably even people in your own extended family um, who have not obeyed the gospel of God, what awaits them, not just in this life, when they have to endure trials without the blessing of knowing the Lord without the Holy Spirit to sustain them, without the church community to come around them, but then what awaits them when they step into eternity, when they die, it should be very motivating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, as a, as just a piece of shameless self-promotion, but also it was it was really well done. A friend of mine and, and myself, his name's Cameron, he lives in Portland, uh, have been uh, releasing Out of Curiosity episodes as another podcast, and he, he did the the work on walking us through, he, we titled it, uh, Why is a God of Judgment Good News? And the way he unpacked that, I think a lot of times we come, especially in the modern world, to the question of judgment with just this, like our eyes get narrowed and we don't know what to do. We either we don't want to come too strong. We actually don't really know if we like the idea, but then we, it's in the Bible. And uh, it just, I think for many of us, we maybe got saved from like a guilt judgment thing. And Cameron uh, used to work here, actually, um, who's in Portland. Now, he just did, a, I thought, a really good job. So you can check that out uh, if that would be helpful to you, if you have some of those questions. Uh, Michael, I think you've, I think you've made, made what Peter's trying to get across just a lot clearer for us and help us out. Uh, anything else not making the cut on Sunday? I mean, that's pretty much it. There's, there's, um, there's a lot of Old Testament references in here in Zechariah and Malachi. You already pointed out Proverbs. And so even though we won't have time to get into all that, um, Peter is taking the Jewish tradition that he grew up in that informs everything about the New Testament and really bringing it into the New Testament era in a really powerful way. So somebody who grew up um, as a first century Jew with the idea of the day of the Lord and the idea of a final judgment, Peter's saying, that's still on the table. It's just going to look a whole lot different for people who've accepted the free gift of grace that's offered in Jesus. Yeah, that all that Old Testament story, as we saw all the way back in chapter one, that the prophets that the prophets spoke about, it's somehow finding its crescendo in the person and work of Jesus, and uh, it's like Peter can't believe it. It's like, man, everything's been turned on its head, and that's uh, that was incredible news for him. Should be for us as well. I'm I'm kind of sad. We've only got one the one you're teaching this week. Then after that, two, three, and then I'm going to extend our series. Is on the twentieth. I think I'm going to teach the final greetings. We're going to get only. We only got four more to go in First Peter, and uh, most everyone I've talked to, at least across the table in the coffee shop, man, we're just—they're really enjoying what what this letter is. It's—they're both enjoying it, like I am, but it's also been incredibly challenging. And so, uh, as you continue to, to study it, if you're using this in discipleship and in small group, uh, let's continue to be challenged and inspired by His words. As always, thanks for listening to Sermon Notes.